Yes, the Brindu. Yes, for a, a meatless Sunday roast. Sounds delicious. How's Bubbles? Yes, you were wise to place her, her bed, her catnapping bed, near the radiator. Yes, sir. Right, sorry, dear Nigel's motioning to me. It's time to start the show. We'll see you later tonight at the Brindu. Love you.
That was a song by the band Pale Blue Dot, hailing from Charlottesville, Virginia, when I asked Tony LaRocco, lead singer and writer of the band, how he came up with a name for it. He said it was inspired by an essay by Carl Sagan that was attached to his refrigerator growing up. The essay was about the Voyager photo. Tony LaRocco always loved science. Backing musicians on that song are as follows. John Gormis on lead and slide. Jay Starling on lap steel. Jason Hoyer on bass. And Brian Madison on drums to play out the show. The Pale Blue Dot Band will play the song. Only Love, written by Tony LaRocco, lead singer Tony LaRocco, guitar Sam Wilson, Will Thomas Reed, Peter Balog, Tucker Rogers, trumpet John DeEarth, keyboards Butch Taylor, bass Drew Pompano, drums Johnny Stubblefield, and that beautiful voice that makes this song more of a duet issues forth from the heart and soul of Yolanda Jones. Thanks again to the Pale Blue Dot Band, now introducing the host of our show, Mr. Douglas Day. Thank you, Mortimer. And welcome to another episode of Book Smart with Douglas Day. Yes, Nigel. You have a call, sir, on line seven, sir. Douglas Day. Need anything from the shop? Yes, yes, an elderberry tea for me with honey. And a, uh, a cinnamon apple cider donut, please. You got it. Anything else? Nigel, Mortimer, Mr. Ross, anything from the shop? I'll have what you're having, Douglas. Nigel. Ditto, sir. Mortimer. Ditto, Douglas. Brill. Did you catch that? Four elderberry teas and four cinnamon apple cider donuts is what I heard. You heard correctly. Thank you. I assure you, Mr. Uh, Day, uh, the pleasure is all mine. Grand. Be back in five shakes of a lamb's tail, Mr. Day. Brill. Nothing like an apple cider cinnamon donut with some elderberry tea. Now... Nigel Lewis Stevenson with some of his poetry. Thank you, sir. This is a poem by Nigel from his Oxford series entitled Toxicology Forum, Patients 13 through 15. Uh, <clears throat> Nigel would like to note this reading will conclude the poem Toxicology Forum. Nigel would also like to note that his mentor, Mr. Douglas Day shall play the role of Dr. Mongolia. Patient number 13. Darling, it's me. Do you know what I am doing? I am thinking of you. My door is closed, darling. I want you to meet me at the usual spot. Underneath the bridge by the parking garage. We'll go up to the fourth floor, darling, and look out over the city and the river down below. The car has been taken to the shop, darling. The seat now reclines. You'll see the river, darling, while I see you. Patient 14. Never has it not given me enough pleasure. 
as what it does done now upon the recipient offer of this award upon two of my helpmates who have struggled long and hard, ladies and gentlemen of the Raratomy, long and hard through tireless hours of sleep and non-sleep, putting forth a, a cure, shall we call it, of such epic proportions that they have in my heart and the hearts and minds of countless others tread upon the pinnacle of the finical of the processes by which only them and them alone can be prone to utter or mutter depending upon their given moods ah-ha-ha on any given Sunday. And so, without further ado, I present to Dr. Jerome Fananabeb and to his partner Dr. Ridlin Pierce the highest honor in our field, the creme de la creme of psychological treatises, the modicology stamp. Applause. Dr. Fenenenab, I salute you. Plurimi per transibunt it multiplex erit scientia. Thank you, Dr. Mongolia. Before I accept this award, it's my duty to share with you some of the words of my absent colleague, Dr. Pierce. He writes, Ladies and gentlemen of the Ruratomy, I will be brief. It is not I who deserve credit for shooting forth theories in our field beyond belief. I fell out of the process months and months ago, even before the germ of Dr. Fenenbarb's cure was enacted. It would not have been right for me to be there tonight, so instead I must rest content with the true knowledge that I am merely a tale note. To my colleagues' theories of cure and regeneration idly swishing in the wind in order to keep away those utterly pesky flies. Furthermore, I can content myself with the knowledge of having ever known this great, great man at all. And then he ends, Sincerely, Dr. Jerome Pierce, Absentia, Bowles Head. But I am too modest to talk. Pause. Fellow Acadecolitians, Rotildilitians, and Proctilmolitians, this was a great man. Along with himself, he devoted myself to the Capitalish of this cure, this cure, this cure. Once found unfounded, unritigated, impossible, unknockable, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see what we've done? Jerome, if you're out there, know this, my friend. I will never forget you. I will never regret you. I will never not let you share in the bounty of this, this system of thought, gosh darn it, that shot forth, shoots forth as I am speaking the following five points once spoke unspoken. First, Tiabawathwa. Second, Tipiwithiwa. Third, Rishashihash. And five, talk a lot a lot. These five ladies and gentlemen have led our patient into the lands far above the coastline. The wind has been loud and the wind has been lonely. The wind has been laden with cockles, seaweed, and brine. I thank you all for coming. I thank you all for shunning the doubts that assail us all. Keep this in the memory of your hearts forever. Adieu. Applause. Patient 15. What are you working on there, Jerome? A poem. Might I hear then? Of course you may. It's called Drawing to an End. Rain tattered street saw you walking wet without wondering, easy into bed for the warm afternoon. Even you were startled by the flowers in their vases, the vast trembling of remembering where you'd come from, who you'd been, the tea sporing, luring eyes unglued. The baby pushed into the ivy, the pigeon whirled away the bottle. That's nice, Jerome. You like it, do you? 
I've got some problems with a line or two. Thank you, Nigel. Louis Stevenson. You're welcome, sir. Mr. Ross, what did you think of Nigel's poetry? I liked it. I always liked Nigel's poetry. I, um, you really gave it the old get up and go. Too kind, too kind, but I have to credit the writer. It was he who put the words into the mouths of Dr. Mongolia. I simply discharged them. Thank you, sir. Now on to Mr. Ross's audio play, The Keeper's House. Anything you'd like to say, Mr. Ross, about today's scene? Well, it's the last scene of Act One. Mm-hmm. Act Two, ready to go? Well, I'll admit, Douglas, I've been struggling a bit with the writing of Act Two. How so? Well, I have it in my mind to introduce a wholly new setting and scene away from the old-timer and his cronies and to shift the focus to a, um, radically shift it to a Nutraself sales conference at the Knights Inn in Piscataway, New Jersey. Hmm. Lest I forget to mention one of the inspirations for our show. Be who you always wanted to be. Feel how you always wanted to feel with Nutraself. And while I have the floor, today's episode is also inspired by The Twelve Steps to Natural Gardening by Al Crowter. That's K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R. Mr. Ross, a Nutraself sales conference at the Knights Inn in Piscataway, New Jersey, is a far cry from the old-timer and his cronies in the wicker woods of Dobbs Ferry. Yeah, I know. That's why it's a struggle. The question is, how would you connect the two? Good question. Mm, Presumably through a character. That's what I was thinking. Well, I'm sure they'll sort themselves out. Thanks, Douglas. Sometimes it's useful to identify the themes that you're working with. What would you say they are, Mr. Ross? Well, I think in Act 1, it's it's this idea of preservation versus um, greed. And Act 2, if it's going to be the Nutraself thing, is going to be about authenticity versus the opposite of authenticity. In, inauthenticity, is that the right word? I believe so. And then Act 3 will try to reconcile those two. Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. Thanks, Douglas. Act 1, Scene 5, The Keeper's House. Present day. Camera pans the sign above Miss Kitty's shanty, Ever Rest. Camera sweeps a wide angle of her living quarters. Beeswax candles cast a warm light over the interior. A small potbelly stove warms the room. Various root vegetables and flowers hang drying from the rafters. Shadows dance on the tapestry-lined plywood walls. A framed black-and-white photograph of John F. Kennedy graces one wall. A map of the state of New York festoons another wall. A gilt-edged mirror hangs beside the door. Miss Kitty sits in a ramshackle Morris chair. On her lap rests her brown mackerel tabby Jojo. Camera draws a tight focus on the owl-like bewhiskered face. Her bright green liquid eyes are fixed on the face of her benefactress, Miss Kitty, who continues to coo. Do you know how much I love you, my darling? Do you know how much I care? 
Miss Kitty extracts a macerated plug of comfrey from her mouth and dabs it on the swollen back leg of the injured Jojo. Miss Kitty. My little angel, how lucky you are that coyotes can't climb trees. It's really a miracle that he didn't pull you off of your white pine perch. I fear that our angel Delilah may not have been so lucky. It has been over a day and still no sign of her. I'll have to speak to your pappy when he gets home. I do not like to kill, but if it is to kill or be killed, well then, so be it. As if on cue, the old-timer enters through the door. How's our girl? Still a beggar of the first order. Hasn't lost her appetite, that's for sure. Is her leg broke? Thankfully, no. Just a nasty laceration. This poultice should do the trick. The question is, what are we going to do about Delilah? She has not reared her head yet, and I fear for the worse. Had the wits scared out of her. But Delilah's a crafty one. I'd wager she's still with us, just hiding is all. Let's hope so, dear. I shudder to think of her out there suffering in this cold. Let's put it this way. I saw no blood trail. Cookie and I will take another pass through the wicker woods and see what we see. As if on cue, a double knock strikes the door and Cookie Cropsy enters, carrying the roughed-up cat Delilah in his arms. Old-timer. Well, I'll be. Is she alive? Cookie. She is by the hair of her teeth. That coyote got his fangs into her side, but she's still breathing steady, so she must have missed her lung. Miss Kitty gently hands over Jojo to the old-timer, and Cookie delivers the injured Delilah to Miss Kitty's lap. Miss Kitty. Boil the kettle, please, and steep three sprigs of that yarrow. Cookie sets to his job. Another knock comes to the door. The widow Dornberger enters and immediately takes Jojo from the old-timer's hands and continues to pat the wound with the poultice of comfrey. The drone of an army helicopter traveling south from West Point punctuates the winter air. The Widow Dornberger. Cats is usually smarter than this. How came it to be that the coyote caught him up and out in the open? That's a good question. He must have been laying in wait. Must have is right. I wager these kitties have learned their lesson. This cold is den the squirrels up, otherwise they'd have chattered a warning. Cats kill birds, coyotes kill cats, and wolves kill coyotes. The vicious cycle of life continues. In the midst of life, we are in death. And vice versa. Amen. A knock comes to the door. Enter Joe, the town building's inspector. Howdy, folks. All. Howdy, Joe. Fancy seeing you here. Can we offer you a cup of elderberry tea? Don't mind if I do, Miss Dobbs. Don't mind if I do. Joe hangs his coat on a peg and takes a seat close to the potbelly stove. Old-timer. To what do we owe the pleasure, my friend? Well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. I reckon you do. Okay, spit it out, compadre. They have, uh, they've, they've got, uh, they've, they've, uh, they, uh, they've got developers lined up for these there, uh, woods. The wicker woods to be developed? That's horse-pucky. I wish I could tell you that it, that it is, Hiram, but city council voted it through. Those scoundrels, do they have no regard for history? Do they not know this is sacred ground? Not when it comes to the almighty dollar. What's the good news, Joseph? The good news is they are accepting ulterior proposals. From the great unwashed? Precisely. I've got an idea, too. So do my own self, a museum of sorts dedicated to the work of the late great Jasper Cropsey, why don't you? Yes, sir. This is the fruition of my waking dream. I always wanted to design a permaculture poetry park. Earthlings unite. The old-timer waves his pipe in a long arc towards the river. Yes, sir. 
The chips are on the table and the dancers are about to hit the floor. Katie, bar the door. Let us turn this problem into a solution. Hold your horses, people, and make way for poetry, plants, and art. Welcome to the Wicker Woods, why don't you? Take a stroll along the mighty Maknunatuk, the river that flows two ways. Feel the sacred power of an hour's stroll, banish the toll of modern drudgery and fear. God save late cloud of the tear. The old-timer sits and the widow Dornberger delivers the injured Jojo to his lap. Hello, my yellow fellow. How goes your fur? Can you give us a little purr? The old-timer gently tickles underneath Jojo's chin and then begins to sing. We will rise out of the darkness and we'll prize out of the darkness and we'll see out of the darkness and we'll hear out of the darkness and we'll rise out of the darkness we'll prize out of the darkness and we'll see out of the darkness and we'll hear out of the darkness and we'll rise out of the darkness we'll prize out of the darkness and we'll see out of the darkness and we'll hear and we'll rise out of the darkness and we'll prize out of the darkness and we'll see out of the darkness don't you fear camera close up with the cat's glowing green eyes scene ends to the sound of jojo's robust purr and act one What's the deal? 